I love you. That's the first thing I want you to know, is that I love you. Now, you may be thinking in your mind, how can he say that? He doesn't know anything about me, or very little. He doesn't know the things that make me happy, the things I like to eat. He doesn't know the problems that I've had. What is really discourage me? How can he say that I love you? Well, I'll give you a few ideas of maybe why. First of all, is it maybe that you and I both have the same loving Father in heaven. And if we have the same loving Father in heaven, that means we're in the same family. And if we're in the same family, anything I know is family members can love each other, can't they? Now this is an extended family. Today we're going to think about my favorite subject. And anytime I get a chance to speak, it'll be about love. There are so many people, as I've traveled in different parts of the world, and as we look around in our own society, there are so many people that have no idea how much they are loved. They just don't. And you know, I believe that you and I don't, do not know how much we are loved. Amen. We know some. Hopefully, each day as we read scripture and the spirit of prophecy, we find out a little bit more about how much we are loved. But if I read correctly, throughout the endless ages of eternity, we will never know completely how much we are loved. Does it make a difference in our lives if we know we're loved? You know, the Dr. Murdoch told us in a class in psychology about this family who's there were three daughters and his wife. And he had a very warped idea, but he was very strict and he punished beyond what should be done. But when the daughters became teenagers, they stayed at home. And Dr. Murdoch, she asked these three young ladies why they stayed at home when they got punished, when, they were, when their father treated them so unjustly. And they said, yes, we went through a hard time, but our father loved us. He was doing what he thought was best, even though it was not probably the best. And so today we're going to think about, today we're celebrating what comes up in a couple days, Christmas. We're thinking about Jesus' first coming. But today we're going to spend our time on another coming.
Because what are we looking forward to? Jesus coming again. What was the motivation, the basic motivation why Jesus came the first time? Hmm? Any others? I think one of the basic... I think that's it. I think he loved us so much that he was not going to let Satan get the best of us. And so he came as one of us. Why is he coming again? I've entitled my remarks for today, Behold, I come quickly. Why is Jesus? This is from Revelation, the 22nd chapter. And in my Bible, there it's three times in the 22nd chapter of Revelation, it says in verse 7, verse 12, and verse 20. In verse 12 says, And behold, I come quickly, and may my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Why does Jesus say that? Do you think he wants to come quickly? Do you like to be with people you love? And I think there's a big hole in his heart because even though we can be with him in spirit, the Holy Spirit can fill us, I think he wants to see us face to face. And he wants us to know that this is what's in his heart, that he wants to come. He wants everyone on this planet to know how much he loves them. And so we're going to look at it in the different aspects of things that will take place between now and when Jesus will come. How he is trying to prepare his church. How he is trying to prepare the world. And we're not going to go into depth to any degree. But our scripture reading, Revelation 3, verses 18 to 21. And to me, this is Jesus' last words to his church. This is is a loving message that he gives to his church. And we're not going to go through the whole thing. But the scripture reading started with verse 18. I counsel you to buy of me gold in the fire. And what is gold? What is he talking about in, in that? What is gold? Now, this church, as we read, if we read the previous verses, they're rich, didn't they? If you have 20 ounces of gold, are you rich? Even today? Reading from Christ's Object Lessons 158, Ellen White explains clearly what gold that is talked about here in Revelation the 18th chapter. Gold tried in the fire is faith that works by love. 
Love is the motivation. Love is the foundation. And in my experience, in my thinking, as we know more and more of how much God loves us and Jesus loves us, we will trust him. We will have faith to be like him. Going on, it says, we, she, she, Ellen White says in 158 in the Christ Object Lesson, we may be active, we may do much work, but without love, such love as dwelt in the heart of Christ, we can never be numbered with the family of heaven. And so, Jesus, the true witness who's speaking to the last church in the Bible, the Laodicean church, says, buy of me. And as was read in the scripture reading, is it money? Is it gold? Is it our offerings that we have to give? What does he want more than anything else? He wants us. He wants us to surrender, to know, and to trust him. And so by buying is we are giving him everything we have. We're making him the Lord of our life. Every morning, we're saying, giving him permission to come in and take hold of us. So when we give him, when we surrender everything to him, then he says, you can have the love. I will put in your heart, the Holy Spirit will bring to you love and everything that you do, your trust, your faith will be in carrying out and showing others his love. The Laodicean church had, had many problems. The second item that he has here is that of a rich robe, of a white robe. It stands for Jesus' righteousness. And as we study, and I would encourage you to study this message to the last church, is that there is a group within the church that does not believe they are saved by Jesus' righteousness and by his sacrifice on the cross but they I believe they are saved by self-righteousness, by what I do, by what I can do. And Jesus is telling them, no, it's a gift. You can never earn it. My death has paid the penalty for your sin for the past and for the present. And when you confess and surrender yourself to me, it is taken care of. So this is the message, the basis, and of course the, the, the eyes have, so we can see clearly, because this church had a problem seeing clearly the things in their lives. Knowing how much we are loved knowing how much God and his son loves us, how much Jesus loved us to give up all the things we know about heaven to come down here 
upon this earth. Nero, I believe God's people are very soon going to face a very severe problem. Have any of you ever heard of the Sunday Law? Have you been looking at the times in which we're living? Do you know the time, what time it is? Because if we don't know what time it is, we don't know what to do. Right? The disciples, when Jesus came up to the crucifixion. Had Jesus told them about the crucifixion? Had he, he told them what was going to happen? Several times. And what did he tell them in that evening? He said, pray, watch and pray. And they did what? Now, I'm not condemning them, folks, because I, I identify so many ways with what the disciples did and didn't do. And it's true in my own life, too. I'm not condemning them. But Jesus told them what was going to happen. He told them what to do. <clears throat> but when he died, were they prepared? They didn't have a clue. They didn't know. And I want each of us to think that Jesus has given us as explicit information about the end of time and about his second coming as he gave the disciples, so they would know what time it is and they would know what to do to get ready. And these verses we have read here gives a beginning to his church, to those who love him and believe him, to get ready for the coming, for the second coming. Now we're going to switch gears a little bit. Jesus and the scripture also gives a message of his love for the entire world. And we know it as the three angels' messages, right? Isn't that what we're told to give to the world? It's for the church also. It's not just for the world, but it's for the church also. But why? Did he give the three angels messages? And I propose to you that he gave the three angels messages because of his great love and because of the great news that the three angels messages give and that we can give and he wants us to give to everyone in the world. The three angels' messages, in my mind, is that Satan and pain and suffering and death and disease and cancer and heart attacks are all going to be done away with. And it's going to come soon. Isn't that what the three angels are really saying? It's good news. Say be done away with. Everything that we've experienced of pain and suffering on this earth is going to be gone. It's going to be eliminated. And Jesus is going to come and there's going to be an entirely different 
earth. Entirely different. But they don't know. They have no idea. And so he says to us, please tell them how much I love them and show them how much I love them and tell them what needs to take place for them to go through and to be ready for when Jesus comes. Can you think of any better news than that Satan and sin and selfishness and arguing and fighting and killing are going to be done away with? I can't think of any better news. So we stick it in our pocket. Don't tell them. Now, part of the news is not all positive. Because in a letter to the Laodicean church, Jesus says, as many as I love, why what? In verse 19, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. So there is a change that has to take place in every human being that wants to go through. The three angels' messages. And it hurts, folks. Because I'm afraid we may not understand. We may not put aside the time to learn how much we are loved so that we will believe everything that Jesus says and has said in his scripture and he said in the spirit of prophecy. He's given us volumes. He's given almost every situation in our life. He's given us information. Now here we've been talking about it and I'm not going to go into depth on Revelation 14 as we look at the three angels' messages briefly here. 14.6 talks about the angel flying with the everlasting gospel, the good news of Jesus' righteousness that covers all our sins when we repent. In verse 7 is one that many have a problem with. Because the angel says, the second angel, the first angel says with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. How many people have accepted Jesus throughout history? How many of them ever gave their heart and surrendered their life entirely to him? Because there's going to be a difference. As we read this, there are going to be some that accept Jesus and some that do not accept him. Some that will surrender their lives entirely to him and others that will withhold. But why is it important to God? I believe that Jesus is in the most holy place in heaven next to his father, the right hand of his father. And he is going over every person's life who has ever accepted him.
To see those who really love him, who accept his love, who know of his love, and have surrendered themselves to him. And the reason I believe is the answer to this question, do we ever want what's happening on planet Earth to happen again? Do we? No. And unless love is the motive of every person's life who is saved, unless they know how much Jesus loves them, the possibility arises that what we're going through might rise again. But Jesus loves us too much. He loves everyone so much that it will not happen. But they need to know that it won't happen. That there's a reason why he asks us not to steal, not to lie, to honor our parents. There's a reason why in the spirit of prophecy he goes in detail on so many things because I believe what we're told is a detail of what love really is. And of course, in, Desi in Desire of Ages, we have a life portrayed, don't we, of love. This is what it is. And you may believe it or not, because I know it's not easy. But he's told you and I, when we surrender completely and allow the Holy Spirit to take over our life, we can live a life pretty much with the same motives that Jesus did, right? But we have to want it. It isn't something that comes easy. It's a decision we have to make each day. And so the judgment is to look at lives, see those who have actually given their entire being, their heart. The first commandment says what? You shall have no other God's before me. When I run my life by my own selfishness, who is my God? It's me. And you know, I've lived long enough that I've not, it's been proved to me too many times that I'm pretty stupid. Especially when I try to put my Reasoning against something that God has said. And then we ask the question again, why don't we change? And I think the answer I have is I don't know how much I'm loved. Because when I know that there's someone that is infinite, that has all power in heaven and earth, who created me, who gave me everything that I have, Why can't I trust him? Why can't I want to do what he says? In spite of the, uh, the fleshly longings that I may have or the things that I may want to do, contrary. Wouldn't it be my desire at least that every day I would plead with him to give me the Holy Spirit, to show me your love so that I will change, so I will do what you want me to do.
after the Sunday law comes, God's people are going to face problems, right? In Revelation 13, 17, after the Sunday law starts, can't buy or sell. After the Sunday law starts, there's going to be problems on this earth, not just for God's people, but for everybody. What we've been talking about is the preparation for God's people and for those in the entire world to know. But we know, as we've mentioned before, there are many, we're told clearly, there are many within God's church who believe in righteousness by their own works. And when persecution comes, when Satan starts putting the heat to test, there's going to be many that leave. It may be 50, maybe 60, 70%. I don't know the number. But many will leave because they have never known how much they're loved. They've not had the personal relationship with Jesus by experimental faith, that is doing what God has said in spite of their own uh, opinions or what others and their neighbors and friends say they should do. They have obeyed. By experience, they know that what God has said is true and they will obey him. And then will come the loud cry. The angel of Revelation 18 will come with great power. And it will be a call, a second call to those that are in Babylon, those who are in other churches, and to the world to accept Jesus, to accept what we've been talking about. Surrender to him. Let him fill your life with his love. Let that love be the motive for everything we say and do. For everything that we spend our money, it will be toward, toward that end. Now these things, are what we've talked about, I don't think one's going to begin and end. I think it both, it builds on it. But as we come to the closer to the end of time, People will come, and I believe, I may be wrong, that of those who have left the church, there will be another group that will come right back in and take their place. They may not know the Sabbath now. They may not know the issues that go for the end time, but it will be made clear, and the Holy Spirit will show them. And we're given pictures that you and I, that God's people will go from house to house, telling them, of who it is that controls our life, our heart, and our being. And at the same time, I believe there'll be a pouring out of what the church has looked for for many generations, and that is the latter rain. You know, when I was growing up, they talked about the former rain and the latter rain. I got the opinion that the latter rain was going to do the separation between us and sin and selfishness. But that's not true. 
It's the former rain that does this. It's what the preparation that we're going through right now, the opportunity we have. The latter rain has an entirely different objective to prepare us to go through the time of trouble such as never was. But only as we know how much we're loved, as we put our willing to trust ourselves completely in him. And as this time flows, through the Laodicean message, the message of the three angels, the loud cry, the pouring of the latter rain, coming in from other churches, then there's going to be an angel that has been sent to earth. And what is his job? To seal. Everybody at the very end of time will have made a decision. Those who are alive will have made a decision either to keep God's Sabbath because they love him with all their heart or to take the easy way and obey Satan. And the angel will come down and he will seal. And when he goes back to heaven and says it's done, then Jesus in the most holy place will say it is done. And probation will close. And then we have the seven last plagues that will hit the earth. And there'll be suffering, I believe, such as we've never seen. Satan has said to God, we're talking about God's people now in the latter, in this time of trouble. Satan has said to God, your loving law can never be kept by human beings. Hasn't he said that? It's impossible for them to do these things that you have said. I believe during the time of the great time of trouble such as never was, Satan is going to try to prove by what he does to God's people that God that he was right and what God said was wrong. But regardless what he does, God's people will stand true. Think with me for a moment. When Jesus was on the cross, at the very end, just before he died, he had no earthly uh, earthly evidence that his God that God still loved him, did he? He could not see through the tomb. Everything was shaken. His relationship was different from his father than it had ever had been since eternity. But his faith, he knew his father. He knew he had done everything his father wanted him to do. And his faith took him through that experience to give up his life and to die. 
I believe God's people will go through a similar experience. We won't go through all the things that Jesus did. But I think Satan is going to try to convince us that there is no way we can be saved. I'd like us to look. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to go to the Gospel of John, the 13th chapter. And the 34th verse. Gospel of John, the 13th chapter, and the 34th verse. And, she, and he says this a couple times. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And you know, I don't know. But when Satan comes to me at that time and I look at my life and the things I have done and the selfishness and the wasted time and the wasted money and so many things and I look at this verse. Have I loved everyone the same way Jesus has loved me? Have I? No. But I have repented. I've asked that Jesus' blood would cover everything that I have done wrong that was selfish, that was against the law of love. And friends, when we go through that time, I think it's just the same. We will not have a mediator in the sanctuary anymore. And unless we have an experience and know that God will take care of us and we trust him completely, that is what will carry us through this time when Satan paints this picture of hopelessness of our lives and the things that have gone wrong. <clears throat> But the death decree has been given. We know it may not be very long until we are killed or the devil wants to kill us. But then tremendous things take place, don't they? Jesus comes. He tells us, he even announces the day or hour and I understand that it's well, we can't get into too much of this. He announces a day and hour, and, and I just read that it may be two or three days. It may be some time between when that is done. But you have to look, look it up and check it on me, but I understand that the wicked who are going to slay us have an entirely different attitude about God's people during this time. But Jesus is going to come. And everything as he promised, as the three angels' messages have been proclaimed, Satan and everything that he has done on this planet is going to be done away with once and for all. And self-sacrificing love is going to be the motive of all those who have gone through 
and accepted Jesus as their personal Savior. Friends, how much time do we spend preparing? We have the information. We don't need to be like the disciples. That when this all comes, we don't know what's happening. If we know the time, we know how to prepare. Let's do it. Let's do it. Daily, find out more and more and more about how much God loves us. For a closing song, I'd like you to turn to 495. This isn't a Christian song, but it's one that I love, especially for the last few words of the verse. Number 495. Near to the heart of God. of quiet rest near to the heart of God a place where sin cannot molest near to the heart of God oh Jesus bless Redeemer sent from the heart of pray oh loving father teach us more about you help us to understand and to know that regardless of what we're going through that you love us with your entire mind heart and soul that even though 
we may go through problems and suffering. That when we surrender ourselves to you, that you will take us through. Create in us the desire. May we hunger and thirst for your love and your righteousness and your holiness. We want to be like Jesus. We do believe that this is the most exciting life that is possible when we are totally in your hands. Go with us now as we leave. May your Holy Spirit guide and direct in everything we say and do. Give us strength not to be discouraged, not to be depressed, but to know that you're coming soon and that your desire to come so that we can be with you for eternity. We ask these things in the precious name of Jesus.